Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. And today, I hope that it'll be a help to you as well as we continue to walk through verse by verse. And the reason we do that is so that we understand, so that we know what it is that God wants us to know. You know, he did not inspire the writers of the Bible just so that we could just have fun with it and just say like, oh, that's, that's a nice thing to say. No, God wants us to know his heart. He wants us to know what he values. He wants us to know how we can live for him. And today's gonna be one of those messages as we discover Christ uh, desires for us how we should live. But, you know, last week we talked about um, the powerful, uplifting thought that Jesus is for us. If you remember that from last week, that God is for us, that he is not against us. As his children, he wants to see us succeed. He wants to see us grow. And uh, at the same time, we recognize that uh, Jesus desires for his children to be developing spiritually so that they can understand the heart of God in a better way. Now, of course, we know First Peter, he's speaking to, Peter the apostle is writing to those that have been scattered. And that's why the title is Strangers and Pilgrims, People that have been scattered all around the Roman Empire, many of them fleeing for their very lives because of their faith. And so he's writing to these people, many of them Jews, and he says to them, I want you to know that uh, God uh, loves you and that uh, you are his people. If you remember in verse number 10, just to sort of throw back to last week, he says, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What he's trying to say is that you have received the mercy of God, and it's because of his mercy that we are his people. Last week, we talked about how uh, we have a new identity as priests before God, and we have a new calling. And all of these things would have been encouraging to those new believers. And I was thinking about it this week. I wonder how that message was received when they received it. You know, when they got that uh, papyrus or however it came, I don't know how, how they received it, but when they read it and as it was passed around to the different believers, I wonder how they received it. I wonder what it was like and, and, and what they would have um, responded. I think certainly they would have been encouraged. I think they would have had some joy as they understood their position in Christ. And at the same time, I wonder, how do you uh, follow up on that? How do you follow up with that encouraging message that, you are Christ, that you have a position in Christ, that you have value in Jesus Christ. How do you improve on that, you know? How do you improve on that message? How do you add more value to what we covered in last week's message? Well, that's one of the unique things about the Christian faith is that it builds upon itself. And so whatever it is that we are taught and, and what we are given, that God always can add something else to it for development and maturity. And so that's what he's gonna do here in the, in, as we continue through the passage is that Peter's gonna add to what we've already learned in these first verses of 1 Peter. And so from chapter two, verse 11, where we're gonna to be today, and all the way to chapter number four and verse number 19, which we're not gonna go that far today. Mark looked really worried about that. We're not gonna go that far today. I'm just picking on him. Uh, we're not, as many of you looked worried about it too. We're not covering all of that today, but from now until we get to, at some point in the near future, chapter four, verse number 19, what he's going to do is he's going to urge believers that based off of what he's already talked about, and now that we understand our worthiness because of Christ, and now that we understand that we are loved and, and we have this mercy-filled position before God, now what he's going to talk about is that we can now live in a different way. We can live in a new way in this wilderness as strangers and pilgrims. 
In essence, it's like we have read the syllabus, you know, we've taken the first couple of courses, and now it's time to really get to work. I don't know if you remember what your first job was like. One of my first jobs was working down here at Brown Brothers Ford, right here at Fraser, uh, sorry, Maine and uh, Marine Drive, uh, right out of college. And I went there and I got a job for the summer when I was home from school. And uh, it, was a, uh, uh, it was a great job. I got to drive tons of cars and do a lot of different things. I was a lot boy is what they called us back then, lot boys. And so uh, very demeaning, you know, but I was a lot boy. And, and that's what I did. But I remember the first week that I was there, I had this guy uh, who trained me. And uh, he had been there for a couple of years, and uh, he was training me. So the first week that I was there working, I had to uh, go along with this guy and as he trained me. And, and what he did is he taught me all of the basics of my job. And you probably experienced this at your job. You know, when you get there, they maybe onboard you, they give you your job description. And he taught me all of the basics. But along with teaching me the basics, he also said, okay, here's some areas that you have some freedom Maybe your job is like that, you know, like, okay, this is what you need to do, but then there's also this other aspect. Now, in my job, the freedom was is that I got to drive pretty much all kinds of cars, brand new ones, used ones. And so some of the things that he showed me is like, okay, this is your responsibility. This is what you have to do. But also, if you go and maybe once in a while, you can go and buy lunch for some of the salesmen, and then they'll tip you, and they'll give you a little bit extra. So that was like kind of a perk, you know? So he told me that inside. He also showed me where I could take cars and do burnouts and do donuts behind a building, and no one would see. And uh, that was on my first day on the job. I said, really, we can do this? He's like, oh, yeah. We just, we smoked out that whole thing. Man, it was pretty awesome. I just want you to know, I never did that. I never did that. Uh, I wanted to, but I just couldn't do it. My conscience was too, uh, anyway. Uh, but he taught me all these things. And he said, and so the, this is the job. This is the basics. But then he said, these are all the additional things that are on there that you can do. And then, like a lot of times happens, he decided to take a few days off after that and just left me by myself. And so I had to just step into that role and, and basically manage the entire car lot all by myself and all of the responsibilities. And I certainly wasn't perfect, um, but I was able to advance pretty quickly in that job and to move into different areas of responsibility because I had that basic training that I needed. I knew what my responsibilities were. I knew what I could do, what I couldn't do. I had all of this and it gave me the confidence and it equipped me for any challenges that were to come. So this is where we are in these first 35 verses of 1 Peter that we've already covered. He's given us the basics. He's given us our identity in Christ. He's taught us how to lay some things aside. And so now what do we do? Now we move forward into the Christian life with confidence. Now, see, if he had left me, if, my, if that guy had left me after the first day of training, I would have been a total disaster. I probably would have, I maybe would have quit or got fired because I wouldn't have known. But he gave me what I needed, and then he was able to take off and leave me, and I was able to continue. In the same way, we now have that basis, and we have an understanding that uh, who we are in Christ, we know our position in Christ. And so Peter then now takes us to the next level. And the verses we're going to cover today are sort of a, a threshold to the remainder of the letter. And as we go through them, what we're going to see is just principle upon principle of how we, the beloved, those of us who know Christ, are to live out a real life of Christianity in the world around us. And what we see here is the received grace of God in action through you. Now think about that for a moment. We're going to see what is possible when you allow God's grace to transform you and change you from the inside out. Now, that's pretty cool. He actually shows us and God reveals to us this is what's going to happen if you as an individual truly do surrender to God as we've been talking about. If you truly do live in light of whose you are, 
which you are gods, you are bought with a price, you are a, a, a peculiar people, right? You are a chosen generation. If you truly live that out, he's gonna show us now what that actually looks like. And to me, I love that. I love manuals, right? I love, I love it at work. If I don't know what to do, I can go and, and look at something. If I'm in school, if I don't know what to do, I always go back to the syllabus or the course description and I understand what it is that I'm to do. And so that's what he's doing here. He's given us this baseline, this manual, but now we're going to move forward in confident biblical living all while, and here's the great thing about it. We can do this while living on earth, this sinful, broken world. We can do it even though we're far from our eternal home. So let's begin reading in verse number 11 and 12, which is all that we're going to cover this morning. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, that means I beg you, I desire of you, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation uh, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Very simply what Peter is doing here is he is setting the baseline for the Christian life and he reminds us of three imperatives. The title of today's message is simply remember. And so he's gonna give us three things that we need to remember now that we have this structure, this basis in Jesus Christ. The first thing he wants to remind us about is to remember your position. If you're taking notes, you can write that down this morning. Remember your position. Look again at the beginning of uh, verse number 11. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now this reflects, of course, Peter's love for those he was writing to. It also reflects to us God's love for us. And I'm, I'm certainly thankful for the love of God. We are dearly beloved by him. And of course, that love was revealed through his sacrifice, making us secure in our relationship with God. But because of that security, what he's trying to tell us is that because we have that security, we then are able to recognize that our time on this earth is short. I think more than any other person in this world, Christians recognize the shortness of our time, the vapor of our life here on earth. For the non-believer, this is the best it's going to get for them. And so they want to extend their life. They want to uh, figure out how to, you know, freeze my body so that maybe one day they'll find out the cure for what I have and bring me back to life. And, you know, they want to extend. They want to have the best possible life, the longest possible life. They fear death so much because for the, uh, the unsaved, this is as good as it's going to get. But for the Christian, this is as bad as it's going to get. And so we know that, hey, it's been a short time and we're okay with that. When God calls us home, it's all right because we're going to heaven. And that's what Peter's trying to remind us about here. He says, listen, remember, you are strangers, you are pilgrims. This is not our, our real eternal home. This is just our place for a time. All throughout the Bible, uh, Christians understood this. I was thinking about Psalm 39, and it's a Psalm of David written hundreds of years before Peter wrote this. And David talked about this in verse number 12 of Psalm 39. Actually, the whole Psalm really leads up to this verse. But he says, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. You know what I pick up out of this verse here is that David felt very deeply the distance between himself and the world that he lived in. Notice that there. He said, give ear to my cry. Uh, hold not your peace at my tears. He's talking about the sorrow that he felt. And he felt very deeply the fact here that I am a stranger with thee. I'm a stranger with God. And he says, uh, as all my fathers were before. And he represents here the attitude of the Christian towards the world, which is just like, we, we don't belong here. We don't belong here. This is not our eternal home. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, pastor, what's so bad about the world? You're always talking about, you know, <laughs> resist the world, stay away. What's so bad about the world? 
In case you haven't noticed, the world is the enemy of Christ and his followers. In the Bible, whenever it speaks of the world or different types of the world uh, represented by different nations, what he's talking about is um, human life and society with God left out of it. That is the idea of the world. So when God is left out of human society and human thought even, what is left? Well, it's just let the lust of the flesh, just whatever mankind comes up with. So when he's talking about the world, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody that, that there's no God involved in their life at all whatsoever. It reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 4, that tells us that uh, friendship of the world is enmity. That's resistance. That's pushing against God. He says, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So what we understand is that the two are, are, are opposed to each other. There's the world, that's mankind without God, and then there's God, and then there's also believers in God. And those two things do not mix. They don't, they don't connect. You say, well, I have to live in this world. Yes, that is true, but we're not actually of the world, as Scripture tells us. And so we're here, and we recognize that it's, it's, it's tough to be here, but we're not quite as connected and as comfortable as maybe someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And so the world that has this man-centric ideals and brokenness, sinful pursuits, all of that, it is at odds with God. So it is not possible for the child of God to live completely comfortable and satisfied with what we have here on this world or in this world. It's not actually possible for us. We'll never feel completely at home in this fallen world. And you know what, church? That's okay. Sometimes you need to give yourself permission, you know? I think someone's like, why don't, I, why don't I seem to fit in everywhere? How come I'm just not? I feel, you know, that's okay. You don't have to fit in with the sinfulness of this world. You don't have to fit in with somebody who's completely against God. Even in the great chapter on faith in Hebrews chapter 11, that talks about great followers of God like Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah. It tells us that they desired a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared them for a city. See, those that have gone before us recognize that the believer is only passing through this earth on our way to our final home. And so we should not become entangled in this world. Our sole focus should not be on the things of this earth and building uh, the things of this earth that, that the world deems important. Our focus should be on the fact that we are citizens of heaven. That is our eternal home that is to come. Now, we're blessed to live in a pretty amazing city, don't we? I would even go so far as to say we are blessed to live in a pretty amazing country, although sometimes it's hard to believe that, just full disclosure. <laughs> sometimes we get very frustrated with uh, the governance and the way things are going, yes. But one of the things that is amazing about Canada is that a lot of people want to live here. A lot of people want to live here. And to me, that makes me proud that I live in a place that people want to live, you know? Uh, we're not all escaping, fleeing Canada to go somewhere else. People want to come here and be here. And one of the things that is amazing to me as I meet people from our city uh, that immigrated here is sometimes the amount of time that they had to wait before they could come to the country. So I, I know people that have applied for uh, a citizenship or applied for a visa to come here to Canada and to work. And I mean, they waited for years and years and years. I mean, people who are outside of the country. Uh, I have friends who applied to be citizens of the United States. And in the meantime, they immigrated to Canada. And then 10 or 15 years later, they got approval to move to the States after they'd already come to Canada. I mean, it was like 20 years later since they had applied. And then they get this phone call like, oh, hey, by the way, you can come in now. You know? And at that point, they're like, well, forget it. You know, I'm going to stay here in Canada. And uh, it's amazing to me how they wait. And, and there's other friends of mine that have waited for maybe a year or two as they're waiting for their paperwork to come in. They've been accepted, but it's not quite open yet. 
And, and what is so interesting about it is that I'm sure for that person, and maybe some of you have experienced that, or maybe your parents experienced it, when you knew that you were going to move to another country, that you were going to immigrate to a new place, it definitely was something you thought about constantly, wasn't it? I can imagine that. I've never done that personally, just so you know. I've never done it personally. I was born here, raised here. I've lived in other countries, but I was born and raised in Vancouver. But I know others from their experience how much when you know that your visa is on the line or that you're waiting for this to go, that you do pay attention to how you live your life, right? You know, for the person who's waiting to come to Canada, I'm sure they're making sure they're not living a life of crime. Because I think uh, if, if, if you, know, you have a criminal offense, I think that doesn't help you. <laughs> it doesn't help you get into the country. They're very law-abiding. They want to make sure that everything is right in their life, that, that, that they would not do anything to jeopardize their opportunity to immigrate into Canada. So the point being is that they're always thinking about that. Okay, this is coming. We don't know when. I go check the mail every day. Did I get the paperwork today? Is today the day? And they're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it kind of governs the way that they live their life waiting for those papers, that paperwork to come in. Now, here's the point. I think you understand it already. That's the Christian life. We recognize that one day we're going to be taken to another country. We're going to go to heaven to be where our permanent citizenship is. And so you know what? Because we know it's coming, we don't know when it's coming. We know the day is coming. Either he's going to return or we're going to be taken home, whatever, whatever it is. And so because of that, it regulates, it changes and affects the way that we live for God now while we're waiting. Even though we're here on this earth, we know that there is something to come. And that's how God looks at our time on this earth. And that's how we look at this time. And it should affect how we live. And so Peter here reminds us, he says, listen, just remember that you are a stranger and you're a pilgrim. Remember that position. But then as we continue in the verse, we're going to see our second point where he says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Point number two this morning, remember your calling. So he says, remember your position but secondly, remember your calling. Now, what is the calling that Peter had just mentioned in verse 9 and 10? I want to read this again. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says that you are now the people of God who have obtained mercy. So here's the point. If our calling is to show the praises of the one who has taken us from darkness and taken us to light, then we cannot live in a way that would bring dishonor or keep us from fulfilling that calling. Does that make sense? And so that's why in verse 11, when he says here, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, he's reminding us about the fact that if we have a calling to bring praise to God, if we're giving in to fleshly lusts, that's not going to happen. Our calling is not going to continue. Now, we all know what it means to have what is described here as fleshly lusts. These are evil desires of the heart. These are urges. These are passions. These are lusts of the flesh that are not just sexual in nature, but encompass, encompass a lot of different things. And those lusts, those desires, whether it's a pull to be uh, always critical and cynical and bitter and unforgiving, whatever it may be, the things that our flesh pull towards, we know what those are. And it's different for each person, although there's a lot of similarities. But we all know what it's like to have that pulling at us, that urging, that desire, that thought process that just sort of uh, takes over. See, the flesh is strong and it is difficult to control, isn't it? It never gives up on its assault of your will. And so because we are never going to be able to uh, escape the sinful surroundings that we are in, because we have a sinful nature, we're never going to be completely free from sin and its effects, but we can keep it from completely controlling us and destroying our testimony for the Lord. 
You say, well, why should we keep away from these sinful desires? Well, the verse tells us there because it fights against our very soul. Do you see that? It wears against your soul. You know, when we become believers, we sort of activate the enemy. We know he's out there. But when you become a believer, you kind of go on a list, I believe, (laughs) as somebody that's following God, and you sort of activate the enemy's influence in your life and, and challenges, certainly. And, and our enemy, the adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, as we know scripture says, he does everything that he can to minimize and eliminate our influence for the Lord. And so he activates and works within our flesh, which is who we were before Christ, and he tries to uh, cause us to lose our testimony. That's why the Bible is so full of encouragement, like Romans 13, 14, that says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. First Thessalonians says, abstain from all appearance of evil. And I could go on and on, naming verses after verse uh, of, of this idea of we need to resist and we need to not go after the flesh. Now, one thing that is critical that we understand, that we need to understand when we talk about our flesh, is that the flesh in itself is not sinful. So here's what I want you to understand. The fact that you have a sin nature in itself is not a sin, okay? Because you were created, you were born into this world. Our flesh, our free will, our human body is God-given, and it was given for his use, okay? And when a person is converted to Christ, our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we don't remove Like our flesh doesn't just go away from us, it's still there. Those of you that are saved who've experienced temptation know that. You know that it's still there. And maybe even after becoming a new Christian, you thought, why am I still feeling this way? Why am I still thinking like this? What's going on? Right? Okay. Now think about Scripture, though. Remember, we are not told in Scripture to cleanse ourselves from the flesh, but we're to cleanse ourselves from the lust of the flesh. We are to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh, as uh, 2 Corinthians says. And we're also to cleanse ourselves from the works of the flesh. We're not told to just get rid of your flesh completely because it's part of who we are. See, the works of the flesh are the fruit of indwelling sin, and sin originates in the heart. It doesn't originate in the flesh. Now, I'm not going to take a ton of time to unpack all this, but I think we need to understand that inherently just the fact that you have temptation is not a sin in itself. Giving in to that temptation is where the sin kicks in. Oh, that rhymes. Okay, that's where it kicks in. When you start to give in to those things. And that's why the exhortation here is so strong to us. He says, abstain from them. Abstain means to hold oneself against or to resist against because if you give in to those fleshly lusts, they can do great and unbelievable harm and damage to your soul. Now, this is where we often go astray because we think that those secret lusts that we have, those sins of the flesh that we are maybe considering, uh, or maybe ones that we're doing, we think that they only affect us in the moment. And sometimes you may be able to get through life and people not understanding or not knowing about some of those secret things, but the reality of it is, is that yes, you are hurting yourself, but ultimately you're destroying your soul. The innermost part of who you are is damaged. And, 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 it's, and it becomes, and it can grow to such a state that it's almost impossible to come back from. See, fleshly lusts disturb and they destroy the peace and the security and the assurance and the confidence of your soul. See, when you get saved, one of the first things that happens is that God gives you peace, doesn't he? And he gives you security. 
And, and I'm so thankful. He gives you joy. But if you as a Christian who has received peace and joy from God then return to the world and then pursue after those lusts of your flesh, what you're doing then that is breaking your peace with God, that peace that you had, that, that connection with God, and you lose the security of his presence and his guidance and his protection. You did not lose your salvation, just so we are clear on that, okay? You don't lose your salvation. I believe that strongly, security of the believer, that's in scripture, that's very important, but you do lose that, that, that confidence that comes from walking with God. And the growth of your soul can be severely affected because if you live in the lusts of the flesh, you're destroying the fruit of your soul, the fruit of the spirit. You're not able to proclaim those. Fleshly lusts enslave and they weaken the freedom of your soul. That's why Peter's talking about here about the inner life being transformed Because even if you are just entertaining evil desires, you say, well, I just think about them, I don't actually do them. Even if you're entertaining them in that way, it takes your focus off of Christ, doesn't it? It causes your heart to move from the things that are heavenly and pure and just and right, and your thoughts are only on yourself, your thoughts are only on your sin. And if we are called to be people who show forth the praises of God, if we were to show forth the praises of the one who took us from that dark place and put us in that light, why are we always trying to get back into the darkness? Why are we always pointed in that direction rather than to the one who gives us joy? And so we must resist and we must battle. And it's a battle, I get it. It's a battle. But man, from personal experience, there's nothing worse than a soul that is not right with God. It drains you of confidence, doesn't it? It drains you of a will to to grow, to serve. It drains you of a desire for the things of God. And if you're not careful, the longer that continues on, and it it can cause so much damage to your soul, so much damage to to your mentality. And guess what? Then you're more susceptible to giving in to the lust of the flesh. And so we must war against it. We must abstain from it. We must push against it. We must resist the lusts of the flesh and keep our focus on God. Because not only do the lusts of the flesh war against our soul and diminish our impact and drain us of confidence for the Lord and and desire to serve him, but they also can slow or even eliminate your impact for God. Now that brings us to our final point, to remember your impact. So we know about our position. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're not of this life. We know that we have a calling to show the praises of our God, and we need to resist then the lusts of our flesh. But it all connects into this point here where he says to remember your impact. Look at verse number 12 with me. He says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, They may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, just at the very beginning here, I want to clarify what he means by day of visitation. The day of visitation has two different meanings in it in Scripture. It means the time that God will come to a person and extend mercy to them, and they'll be saved. Okay, That's called a day of visitation. Another reference to the day of visitation is when God comes and brings judgment to mankind. So there's two different ones. So and, and he's not clear what he's talking about here. I believe that in the context of the verse, he's talking about God coming to a person and them accepting him as their Lord and Savior. So he, the visitation of the Spirit is what, what it's considered. I, that's what I believe, but it also could 
and very easily could apply to the day of judgment that is to come. Okay, so I just want to get that out of the way as we move into it here. But here, what he's trying to say then is that as we <clears throat> abstain from fleshly lust, we don't just do it for ourselves, but we also do it for the fact that other people are watching us. Now, we hate that, don't we? Man, we hate that. I hate the thought that anyone would make a decision or do anything based off of me, right? Because we all want to be super independent, and we don't want anyone to, don't judge me, right? Like, just stay away from me. I'm going to do my own thing. But here's what he's saying, is that as the Christian, people are watching you. People are watching you. The world watches everything a genuine believer will do. And if we are following Christ, if you are genuine in your faith, the truth is people are going to know that. They're going to recognize it. They're going to see it. And we need to make sure that we cannot be justly or accurately blamed with any sin or evil. Now, this is a difficult reality because often when someone finds out you're a Christian, and they should find out that you're a Christian, they will watch to see if you are living to what you are claiming to be. That's the truth. That is the truth. And, and, and who can blame them? Who can blame them? Uh, I mean, our world is full of stories of hypocritical Christians, right? Uh, man, unfortunately, way too many. And so who can blame them? Especially, though, when someone tries to claim that they are, you know, trying to live above the things of this world, they're going to do all that they can because everybody loves to unmask a hypocrite, don't they? Everybody loves to be like, I knew it. I knew you weren't who you were. I mean, that's just built within our flesh. <laughs> that's a fleshly lust of some people to try to, you know, discover this about others. And maybe in their life, the unbeliever, they've experienced other Christians who have proven to be otherwise. And so for that reason, though, he says, because people are watching you, you must live honest lives. Lives that are just what we profess. The word honest means good. We need to live a good life that is genuine, holy, righteous, pure. And there's two reasons for it. Number one, unbelievers speak evil of believers. <laughs> Here's why we need to live in this way. Unbelievers like to speak evil of believers. Uh, there will be some who will always speak evil of genuine followers of Jesus Christ. If you live for him, if you live in righteousness and in self-denying, if you uh, abstain from the things of the world and you don't pursue the pleasures and the possessions of this world, there are those that no matter what will joke about you, will ridicule you, will abuse you, will persecute you, will come after you, no matter what it is, simply because you are a believer. You've probably experienced this at your workplace, or maybe you have family members who are not saved, or family members that are not living for the Lord, man, they love to only pick on you, right? Uh, there's been seasons of life where in some extended family circles, you know, uh, my wife and I may be the only ones that are following Christ. And guess who gets picked on at the family gathering? That's the only the one. I, mean, I know in my, some of other extended family members, it's like they just make fun of us and we're like, oh, really? Come on, we're adults here. You're making fun of me? But anyway, you know, it, they, that's just what they want to do. They just want to do that. They want to pick on uh, those that know Christ. And whether it is because they are themselves feeling guilty because they're feeling the call of God or they recognize their own, uh, just um, move away from what they know to be right, whatever it may be, the point is we must never add fuel to that fire. We must be aware that we never give them a chance to justly accuse us. That's why we must be diligent to abstain from those fleshly lusts and live an honest life to do what we proclaim and what we profess. There are unbelievers who will speak evil of believers. But the other reason we need to abstain and remember the impact that we have is that unbelievers need to be saved. See, if we live dishonest and fleshly lives, if we go against who we proclaim to be and who we stand for, then unbelievers will know that we are hypocrites and it will not 
help lead them to Jesus Christ. Notice there in verse 12 at the second part of the verse, he says that they uh, may, by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in that day of visitation. Now, this is really powerful because what it shows us is the impact of a Christian testimony. It shows us that though there may be some who will mock, there will some that will speak against you, there are others, perhaps even those that have mocked you and have made fun of you, that eventually will come around to a place of belief, of glorifying God, simply by their observation of you. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, where he says, Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works. Why? <laughs> to glorify your Father which is in heaven. I feel like Peter kind of, I don't know, he stole this from Jesus, I think. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know if you remember that as he was writing it. Remember that people see. Uh, he plagiarized Jesus, you know? We can criticize him for that, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and, 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 he's, and, and the point is, is that there's, a, there's a, a change that can happen in a person simply because of them seeing what God is doing through you. And, and it's amazing that our honorable actions in life can lead an unsaved critic to know Jesus Christ. I, I don't know all of your stories, but I know people who have accepted Christ because of someone that they knew who was a Christian that just lived the Christian life without apology. And over time, even though they were critical of it, it's funny, I don't know if you guys remember uh, Brad and Lori who were here for a while. Uh, they were helping us with some of the projects around the building. And they got saved, I think, in their 40s later on in life. And I had a chance to spend several, well, a lot of time with them over the few months that they were here. Uh, but one day we're in the car ride, I asked him to tell me his testimony. And he told me, I mean, he grew up and his, I mean, his life was a life of just, uh, I mean, not the things of God. I don't know how else to put it. Not the things of God. And, uh, and I had hoped to have him share his testimony at some point because both their testimonies, because it's a miracle how they came to know Jesus Christ. Someone who said, I will never be a Christian, I will not, but it was because of others in their life that had a testimony that were consistent that even led them to the place of following after Christ. And for us, as those that are strangers and pilgrims, who are scattered amongst unbelievers. Here they're identified as Gentiles to these Jews that he's speaking to, but for us it would just be the people of this world. We have to recognize that we have a powerful reason to live for Christ, and so that is that others might know him. The day that they were in, if you know anything about the history, and we've talked about this a little bit, but to be a Christian in those days in the Roman Empire you were susceptible to just straight up lies about believers. I mean, they were the ones blamed for setting fire to Rome. There was a reason they were killed in the Colosseum. They turned an entire nation, a country, dictatorship, empire against followers of Jesus Christ. And people believed all sorts of crazy things about them. If you go back and you look at history, they believed that, you know, they, they, they sacrificed uh, humans. They, I mean, they had all of these things that were said about Christians. There was a lot of fake news about Christians, a lot of misconceptions. And we live in a day today that is very similar to that as well. By the way, we're not, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. We already see the direction that our society is going in and how they try to put them on Christians, how to blame Christians for things, the, the untruths that are said about us. And so what do we do about that? What is the alternative to that? How do we change the narrative? Well, I can't go around shouting and holding signs, right? I mean, you could, I guess. I am a good Christian, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know that's going to change. They're just going to think, okay, but you're on the side of the road. You're a lunatic. 
I don't know about that. I don't know you're going to change anybody's mind. Well, what's the alternative to it? Well, the alternative to that is living an attractive, gracious, and upright life. That when rumors get spread, when people criticize you and attack you, you live in such a way that you're above even those accusations. There's nothing true about them. There's nothing foundational about them at all. Now, the challenge for us this morning is to live a life that models the mature, honorable conduct that Peter is calling us to. And and not in a fake way at all, not in a fake way at all, but in a genuine way from a heart that is rooted in our knowledge of God's love and his desire and his willingness to change us through the power of his spirit, to change us from the inside so that we can live in this way. Now, like I mentioned, this is a transitional passage. And Peter is calling us to three things to remember that I want all of us just to sort of get into our hearts today. As I was driving uh, home from, uh, from the office this morning, I, was just, I just kept repeating these thoughts. And he says this, remember your position. Remember that we are not on this earth for much longer. That puts some urgency on the whole situation. And then he says, remember your calling. Remember that you are called to proclaim and to push up and to reflect the praises of the one who's called you from darkness to light. And one of the ways that we do that is by abstaining from those lusts of the flesh that war against our soul, that keep us from our calling. And then remember your impact. Remember your impact. Remember that your life has the potential to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, to to see someone go from death to life. That's huge, folks. That's huge. To think that God would honor us with that. That God would use a broken, sinful person such as myself to change the direction of somebody else's life, to see someone else go from darkness to life, from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven, that God can use us in that way. Think about that. That's pretty amazing. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want to get to heaven one day and have people come up to me and say, hey, because of you, I found Jesus. I don't know. I hope hope that there's people out there like that. I hope that there are. And I want to live my life in that way. But I'll tell you what, it's not going to happen unless we get back to our calling and focus there and just say, you know what? I'm gonna live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. I'm gonna lift him up above anything else and I'm gonna keep my eyes on him. I'm gonna keep my heart focused on him. That's really what's gonna make the difference. That's where the impact lies, is in following Jesus in that way. So my encouragement for us this morning is let's live a life in this way. We know what we found it on. We can live this way because of confidence in who we are in Christ and his love for us. And so we can live pursuing God. And so remember your position, remember your calling, and remember that you have an impact. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. You can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver, uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. 
And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.